So let me begin by uh, reading our primary text for this morning, Ephesians 5, 1 through 5. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You see, it's a funny thing, imitation. On the one hand, we celebrate and are entertained by actors celebrating and impersonating um, other celebrities. You know, we have entire seasons of Emmy Award-winning shows centered around imitating political figures. But on the other hand, we, I'm sure we all remember our, our brother, sister, maybe one of our best frenemies, repeating the words, Mom, he keeps copying me. Mom, he keeps copying me. Any of you have that happen? But I also remember fondly when I was three years old, my great-grandmother bought me a toy shaving set. And I remember sitting up on the bathroom counter watching my dad put shaving cream on his face. And then I put the cream on my face, and I watched him pull the razor down, rinse the blade off in the sink. I'd take the cream and get it all over my face, take my little plastic razor and just smear it all around and then rinse it off, making a huge mess. I thought I was really something. See, in that moment, I loved my dad. And I wanted to be just like him. You see, when done out of a heart of love, imitation, as it is said, can be the most genuine form of flattery. But when it is done out of a heart of malice and bad intention, it becomes mockery and squeezes the humanity out of the object of imitation. In our text today, we will see how we are called to please God in our imitation of him. We will also see how that imitation can easily turn into mockery. So we start off this section of text with, therefore, which, as we've learned, means we need to go back and ask ourselves, what's it there for? So by way of gathering some context, let's go back and look at the previous section of text that we've been working through for the past several weeks. So take a look back just... uh, one column over in my Bible, Ephesians 4.17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. You see, the context of this passage is that the Ephesian church had been taught Christ. And Paul encourages them to put off their old selves their old habits, their old desires, and to put on their new selves. Meaning Christ 
had given them and us new hearts. Hearts whose deepest desire is to please our Creator, knowing that we battle against our flesh daily. And this is why Paul calls us to walk in the newness of life we find in Christ as we speak the truth in love with our neighbors. We saw that in Ephesians 4.25. And in verse 28 of chapter 4, Paul calls us to work hard and to be generous. And last week, we saw that we are called to relate to one another in kindness and steadfast love, which pleases the Holy Spirit. And Paul continues his thought in 5.1. Therefore, in light of what Christ has done, especially in forgiving us and in light of how we are to relate to one another, Paul calls us to be imitators of God. So my first point this morning is this. Because we are children of a loving Father, we desire to imitate Him. Because we are children of a loving Father, we desire to imitate Him. Embedded in that command to imitate God is the basis on which that command rests. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Pat taught us in Ephesians 1 that we have been given an inheritance. And Hans taught us in Ephesians 2 that we are members of the household of God. So if you weren't here for those teachings or need a refresher, I'd strongly recommend going back and listening to those because they're key to our understanding of the text today. You see, God has chosen us for his family. And what he is asking us in return is that we represent him in the world. Parents, I know you know what Paul is talking about here. You see, when my daughter is kind and loving toward her brother, her mom says, oh, our daughter, she's starting to understand. She's starting to get it. But when my daughter changes the lyrics to a song or makes a corny pun, it's, your daughter thinks she's so clever. There's no doubt when you interact with my daughter that she has already been subjected to years of dad jokes and cheap musical parodies. But in spite of her father's sense of humor, she knows how much she is loved by her parents. And her response is to imitate us. Thankfully for me, there's a better half that she gets to imitate most of the time. You see, our children imitate everything we say and do, which is absolutely terrifying. Can I get an amen? Amen. But it should also be incredibly humbling and sobering for all of us in this church. Whether you are a parent, a grandparent, or one of the adopted aunties and uncles who our children see on a weekly basis, we get an opportunity to represent what it means to love one another well to the kids of this church. And you see, the Lord had always intended that mankind would imitate him. Look back at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, uh, 27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. See, God created humankind as an image of himself for the rest of creation to see. And for a period of time, Adam and Eve were doing a real nice job of imitation. But eventually, being the image bearers was not enough. And they wanted instead to image themselves to the world. You guys know the story, right? They became God, tried to become God. And we've been dealing with the consequences of that sin ever since. 
So all throughout Scripture, we see this pattern of God choosing a people for himself, setting aside a people that would bear his image in the world. Take a look at what Moses says to the Israelite people in Leviticus 19. He says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You see, God expects that we carry his resemblance. God is perfect in holiness, and his desire is that his people reflect that holiness. To paraphrase what Marcel said a few weeks ago, Moms, if your babies don't look like their daddies, that's bad. It's true. If we don't look like our father, that's bad. Children should resemble their father. Jesus says it a slightly different way. I want you guys to turn there with me back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Forty-three. It says this. <clears throat> you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus and Paul set the bar of imitation extraordinarily high for us. They're saying we must be holy perfect even, in order to be imitators of God. Now, if you're like me, you have failed too many times to count at that. You haven't lived up. Maybe even this morning, you failed to image God as you ran over to the donut table and swiped the last sprinkled donut right from that little girl that was going for her favorite donut. We can agree on the surface this, this command to imitate God and to be perfect and holy seems impossible. Why even try? We've all already failed. But we have to remember, when we see the word perfect, we're not talking about a perfect game in bowling, right? 300 pins. We're not talking about never having sinned. What we're talking about is the idea of someday arriving at perfection. Growing in our capability and desire to more clearly image Christ. So what Paul is trying to... communicate here. What is it? Is he setting the Ephesians and us up for failure and frustration at our inadequacy? No, not at all. Let's keep reading so we can understand more clearly what he is getting at. Back in Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us, And gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul follows up his command to imitate God based on the motivation that we are beloved children. 
We are loved by our good father and chosen to be part of his family. And then he follows, follows that up, that motivation, with another command. A clarification of what he's talking about imitating God. And that is, namely, walking in love. Paul is saying, love one another as Christ loved us. Imitating God means loving like Christ loved. So my second point is this. God's children imitate the Father by living lives marked by sacrificial love. God's children imitate the Father by living lives marked by sacrificial love. So how do we know what sacrificial love looks like? Well, we just have to look to Jesus. And we see it in how Jesus conducted himself while he was here. And I love how Paul contrasts what Jesus did with what the world's standards are. Look back at Ephesians 4.17. We already read it once today, but I want to highlight something for us here. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.17 Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You see, the people of the world, they willingly engage in sin. We're not ignorant about what is sinful and what is holy. And the Gentiles, they willingly entered into that, that sin, to separate themselves from the Father, the things that they love. But Jesus, it says in verse 2, gave himself up for us. He had the option of giving himself over to sin, He was tempted in every way like we were, but he willingly gave himself up for us. I love how Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there with me. It's just uh, one page over in your Bibles. And it says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In other words, there is all those things, so be united with one another. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's what we talked about last week. Being kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but willingly, on his own volition, because he loved us, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, Jesus showed us what true love is. By the way he served us in his humble obedience. 
Obedience to the point of death on the cross. The Apostle John makes it clear also what love is. 1 John 3.16. And it says this, By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So what is this saying? It's not good enough. It's not holy enough. It's not perfect enough just to say that we love each other. Just to say that we love DHS. Just to say that we love Burkina Faso. Or just to say that we love this church. This means we actually need to be baking berry-filled pies, tarts, muffins, all those yummy berry things, and actually taking them to DHS to show them that we love them. It's not good enough just to say it. We need to actually do it. We actually need to be generous with our money, and we need to give beyond what we feel like is comfortable to show the people in Burkina, the pastors who have been praying for years for roofs, that we love them. And in fact, you guys are generous. We're sending money this week. But let's not stop at where we're at now. This means that we actually need to be sacrificing our time and comfort to serve our brothers and sisters this week. You see, Jesus... He wasn't just a talking head or a gifted teacher. He was a doer in every sense of the word. He actually willingly got up on that cross and died for us to show love. So when Jesus asks us to take on his yoke because his burden is light, he's not saying it's easy, but it is possible. It is possible. And it will cost you your comfort. At minimum. But everything that Jesus expects us to do, he's already done to the fullest extent possible here on earth. So when Jesus asks us to lay down our lives for our friends to show the greatest love, he can do so with authority because he's already done it. So when Hans is up here teaching us and he's asking us to be generous with our money, it's only because he and Kelly have already done so. And when Pat is up here asking us to show love to the body by volunteering and using our gifts to serve, it's only because he's already doing it. When your community group leaders, when I'm up here asking you to show love by engaging our community, by loving the body, by spending time with one another, we say those things to you from a place of authority because we're already doing those things. Now, don't hear me wrongly. I'm not equating Hans and Pat and the rest of our leadership team with Jesus. Only he is perfect. But I would lovingly 
and with exhortation submit to you what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 7. And that is this. I'm going to read it for you. But I want you to take a second so you can hear me clearly here. Hebrews 13, 7. It says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Paul laid out the model for us for imitation. He said to the church at Corinth, imitate him as he is imitating Christ. He tells the Philippian church to join in imitating him as he pursues Christ. He tells the Thessalonian church that they ought to imitate him because he has given them an example of what following Christ looks like. So brothers and sisters, if you're confused, if you're struggling in your walk, if you're unclear what walking as a Christ follower is, Open your eyes. Watch your leaders. We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. We battle our flesh each and every day. But in humility, I would ask you, imitate us as we imitate Christ in showing love and word and in deed to this church and the community around us. I can speak from my personal experience that many of you in this church In fact, make it a regular practice of laying down your life for one another. And I'm so thankful for that. You're willing to give up your time, your comfort, your easy American living for your brothers and sisters. And I am so, so thankful for you. And I also want to encourage us to continue asking ourselves the question each and every day, moment by moment, am I willing to, to lay my life down to show love. You're probably thinking to yourself, hmm, man, I'm, I'm willing, but only when it's convenient. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm willing to lay down my life, but only if I owe it to that person. So let me ask you this. By way of application. What practical steps can I take to lay down my life to show my family love? To show my church love? To show my community love? What practical steps can I take to show love? What am I doing to live sacrificially? So for me, the answer is easy. Being an introverted personality... It's the amount of me time that I have. And when I say me time, I mean time where no one is around me and I'm not talking to anyone. Whether that's out on the golf course or just sitting quietly reading a comic, whatever that looks like. I'm called to sacrifice it out of love. So Hans asked me a while ago if I would teach Um, as part of this Ephesians series, and of course I said yes, and so for a variety of reasons, this Sunday, I think he strategically ordered the weather so that he could wear shorts to church today. I'm not sure how that worked out, but But today was the day that I would preach, and, and as I've been preparing for this teaching, again, 
I had to wrestle with the conviction that comes upon us every week as we prepare for teachings. And I felt conviction because there was a bitterness that crept into my heart. Because I knew that in order to prepare for today, I would have to give up some of my me time. I felt unwilling in my heart to sacrifice that time out of love for all of you. And it was only by the work of the Spirit in my life and some serious introspection that I realized the hypocrisy that was in my own attitude. My attitude absolutely stunk. You know, we have that saying, a a stinky attitude. And I think it's a great descriptor of what's happening in our hearts because it really is a bummer for someone like me who has undeservedly been given everything to make such a small sacrifice to image God to my brothers and sisters. And again, it's contrasted with the descriptor that Paul uses about Christ in verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 5. He calls him a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, stinky attitudes have a different fragrance than Christ's offering. He calls it a fragrant offering, meaning the essence of Christ's action of love was pleasing to God, just as the smell of the animals being sacrificed in the temple were pleasing to God. You see, the only reason we can even think of living sacrificially is because Christ willingly gave himself up to pay the penalty for our sins. He climbed up on that cross because he loved us. He died and he rose again, defeating death. He ascended to the Father and he gave us his helper, the Holy Spirit, to transform us into new creations so that we can live sacrificially. So if you're here today and you haven't thought about entering into a relationship with Jesus, acknowledging him as your Lord and Savior, we'd love to connect with you. Hans, Pat, and I will be in the back after service, and we'd love to explore with you what it looks like to be a Christ follower. So my prayer for us brothers and sisters is that the power of the Spirit at work in us and among us would transform our stinky attitudes into attitudes that carry the aroma of Christ to the world around us. You guys ever walked into a kitchen where something fresh is being baked? You probably don't even need to walk into the kitchen, right? You can probably just open the front door. You get that smell and you get excited about what's baking. can't wait for it to get out of the oven. So my prayer is that our church becomes like the best chocolate chip cookie bakery around. Where when people in the community see us, they can sense the aroma of Christ in us. That they will be drawn in. Drawn into this place. Not this physical building, but into this church where brothers and sisters gather together. And I pray that they would eventually be able to taste and see that indeed the Lord our God is good.
And I want to spend the last few minutes of our time together this morning talking about the second half of that passage. So back in Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So we just spent a, a, a bulk of time talking about the need for us to image Christ in the world and to do that in how we show love to one another. But then Paul comes and he says, but all this stuff about sexual immorality, impurity, crude joking. So why is it that Paul includes that list right after his command to love? Isn't it interesting? I certainly find it interesting how in our society we conflate the ideas of love and sex. We equate the two things in a lot of instances, especially in 2018. And so all of those things that Paul lists, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, all of those things stand in direct opposition to the heart of Christ. What each of those things do is they strip away the image of God from the person we're sinning against. Sometimes that's ourself. And they remake God in our own image. It's the exact opposite of living lives marked by sacrificial love. All of the things in that list are self-serving, self-gratifying and self-justifying. And certainly none of them involve genuine love. So this brings me to my final point this morning, and that is this. Only selfless, thankful children share in the inheritance of the Father. Only selfless, thankful children share in the inheritance of the Father. And so, within this list is embedded the sixth command. Paul's sixth word. We've been studying the words. We've gone through five of them. And so the sixth one starts with that same pattern. Let there be no. And then he goes into that list. And so, um, later in chapter 5, Hans is going to delve into that list a little bit more. But it's let there be no impurity, instead thankfulness. Let there be no sexual immorality, instead thankfulness. Let there be no coveting, instead thankfulness. Paul gives us this list because he knows from his experience, I'm sure, that there is no faster way to undermine a person's pursuit of holiness than to shift their focus from Christ and from others back to themselves. We get the sense in the early Ephesian church because of their culture of idol worship, giant temple to Diana, 
that sexual sin was pervasive. And members of the church perhaps struggled in putting off their old selves. They fell into those old habits. And they struggled remembering what it was like to live to Christ, to put on their new lives in Christ. So Paul writes them this reminder that children of the Father don't act this way. And I've had this same basic conversation with my three-year-old dozens of times in the past months. I say to her, Charlotte, we don't throw fits about not getting another piece of candy. It's just not something we do. Instead, we're thankful that we had a chance to get candy and have a piece every once in a while. I say to her, Charlotte, as a child in our family, we don't push. We don't hit. So when you hit brother, it's not okay. Instead, you should be thankful that your brother loves you enough to play with you and wants to be close to you. I say to her, Charlotte, we don't cry when it's time to leave our friend's house. It's not something we do. Instead, we're thankful that our friends love us enough to have us over to play. Now, the scale is perhaps a little bit bigger, what Paul's saying here in Ephesians. But the idea that Paul is communicating is the exact same. We need to grow up. We need to grow up. And we need to put away our old selves, and we need to remember to be thankful for God's goodness in our lives. We need to remember not to buy into the lie that sex is an appetite that needs to be fed. Instead, we need to remember to be thankful that our identity is not found in sexual gratification. It's found in being children of the Most High God. We need to remember not to be jealous about the things our neighbors have. But instead, be thankful that God is is faithful to provide for our needs. We need to remember, this is convicting for me, not to make jokes that are crass or crude, not to make fun of others. Because in doing so, we disrespect them and their creator in the process. Instead, be thankful that we can engage with others Other people bearing the image of Christ in meaningful relationships. And we get to image Christ to one another. Be thankful for that. And when we turn our eyes off of ourselves and our perceived needs and on to Christ and his sacrifice for us, it then becomes easier and easier to imitate God in the way that we sacrificially love one another. So before we end today, I want to quickly turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. It's part of the reading from today. And we're going to start again in verse 1. And it says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, give thanks, and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we live lives as imitators of God, Jesus says we are blessed. Why are we blessed? Because we get the inheritance of beloved children of God. Notice all of those things that Jesus said we should be, those be attitudes. They all contain relational components that require us to die to ourselves and to live to Christ. If you think about what it takes to be those things, we have to die to ourselves. We can't do it on our own. But by the Spirit's work in us, we can. And so if we imitate God, if we live lives of sacrificial love, if we live with thanks in our hearts, what is it that's going to grow? It's our unity with one another and with God. And one day we will see that inheritance come to fruition in all its fullness when Jesus comes back to restore all things. And at that time we will be able to image him perfectly to one another and we will fully realize our inheritance. But remember, brothers and sisters, we have already received the beginning of that inheritance already. So as we go through this week, I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring to the forefront of our minds this question. Am I imitating God? For some of you, maybe you're realizing you don't know who God is all that well. So it will be difficult to imitate him. So here's the question. I want to encourage you. Keep learning about Jesus. Because he is the perfect reflection of the Father. The perfect image of the Father. So keep learning more about Jesus. And in doing so, you'll know what the heart of the Father is. And in looking to Jesus, also don't forget to look at those who are seriously following him, who 
are further along in the journey than you are. Use them as a resource. We have been gifted in this church many wise counselors, lots of life experience. Take advantage of the resources that are available to you to learn about Christ, how we can image him together. One last place for you guys to turn and then we'll be done. Back in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. See, brothers and sisters, you were chosen. You were chosen to be children of a loving Father. So let us walk as a response to that love this week as we image together Christ to the world.